morning. Uh, just so Mrs. T knows and the staff, uh, because we're promoting VBS this Sunday, they asked us to wear the VBS shirt. So I didn't want to distract you with my burgeoning biceps. So I do have it on, okay? Just wanted to start there, so just so you know. Okay, here we go. First Peter chapter 4. Would you stand as, we, as I read the, pass, the short passage? Uh, and then we're going to also do responsive reading following that. So in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 through 11, huge theme. Love one another throughout the Bible, as we know, God is love. So we're going to look at that this morning. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the the book of 1 Peter, every chapter is going to refer and express this whole idea of loving the brethren. Every chapter in 1 Peter, uh, the book of 1 Peter. Responsive reading, we're going to have two of them, actually. I want to do one at the end before we take communion. But the one that, I, that came to mind for this study is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 19, 24 times the word love is appearing. So I'm going to read the first, verse 7, and the odd verses. If you would then together read the even verses, and we'll finish it out with verse 21 all together. Okay, here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We love him because he first loved us. Altogether. And this command we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So, Lord, we just take our hearts, minds, thoughts right now. We pray that, Lord, you would speak to us 
through your word. Alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Lord, you said, by your word, we're going to grow up spiritually, by your Holy Spirit. So please, I ask the things that I've prepared this morning, you would break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We want to grow in our faith, in our love, in our hope. Lord, we want to take to heart the things in, this, in the word this morning that we might be those that are growing in our love for you and for one another. So I pray your, 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 your instruction goes out here and we'd have hearts that can receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I want to go through a few scriptures. In fact, I'm not going to hit a lot on the three things I want to leave with you as far as these uh, pathways to love. But I'm going to spend quite a bit of time, and I want to put the scriptures on the board, because I want us to, mainly this morning, is to consider this truth, that love is a commandment. It's a commandment. So I define it like this. Love is the attitude and action of the heart in obedience to God's commandments. Love is the attitude and action of the heart in obedience to God's commandments. So the phrase, love one another, is not found in the Old Testament. Interesting. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When God came into this world with his disciples, he demonstrated in flesh and blood what that love looks like. So you don't find this phrase, love one another, in the Old Testament at all. But in the New Testament, we find it about 15 times. I want to go through the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples that are steeped in this idea that love is a commandment. In John chapter 13, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Now Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. You will seek me, and I, as I said to, to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Here it is, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Here it is, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John chapter 15, same time, when Jesus right before he's going to the cross. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. In chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked a very important question about the commandments. In verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, same manner. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So love is an attitude and action of the heart in obedience to God's commandments. Jesus makes it clear, love is a commandment. He makes that very clear that obedience to God's commandments, we abide in his love and we are, we are loving others. First Timothy put it this way. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's the purpose. Romans chapter, Paul wrote the same thing to the Romans. He said, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not, so forth, and if there's any other commandment, 
all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, wrote this. But concerning brotherly love, that's the Philadelphia love, not agape. We'll look at that in a moment. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. These are, these are God's commandments. This is God's instruction because this is who God is. The Apostle John, who identified himself as the one who Jesus loved several times, in 1 John chapter 3, he wrote this. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, God backs up obedience to his commandments. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Again, as he gave us commandment. Are you, are you getting it here? <laughs> and over and over and over again. Second John, uh, John, verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, wrote to a, a, some woman who probably had a home Bible, a home church, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in. In it. Now, here's, here's what I want to drive toward this morning a little bit for us to, to just take to heart and take to mind. The world will tell you that love is a feeling when just the opposite is most often the truth. Love may be followed by feelings, but love does not operate from our feelings. Love, in fact, is many times opposite what I feel like. Now, would you just say amen so I know you're with me? Amen? Okay. My Bible has this introduction to the book of Leviticus, where God begins the law. Leviticus is God's guidebook for his newly redeemed people, showing how to worship, serve, and obey a holy God, unquote. In Leviticus, let me say this, two times you shall love, you shall love, only two times. But overwhelmingly, they're all the shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not, you shall not, shall not, shall not, do this, that, and the other thing. The golden rule is what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Often we're thinking, do not do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. But see, it's opposite. It's doing. It's not refraining, but it's doing these things. We often think of the negative. What I will not do because I love you. What I will refrain from doing because I love you. Instead, I am commanded to do, to love. So it's an attitude and action of the heart in obedience to God's commands. Read 1 John 4 again. We must conclude that love is not a feeling. Read 1 Corinthians, which we'll do at the end. We must conclude that love is not a feeling. Read your own heart again. And tell me if you don't know that for a fact. Love is not a feeling. God has commanded us to love one another. In so doing... Listen, it's a commandment. I think if it wasn't a commandment, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's what I think. We, we, we're, we're given this standard of God's love, but we're not left alone with that, with just the standard. What we're given as believers is out of this world. We're giving everything we need to be obedient to God by the power of his Holy Spirit and his word instruction. 
So in the Bible, now by the way, Greek, the Greek language, New Testament is written, has eight words for love. We have one. So as you read these four that are most known from the Bible, eros is sexual passion or romantic sensual love. Another word is storge, which means familial love or family love. Another word is philia, which means friendship love. And Peter uses that word as I also in one of the passages we were reading, which means brotherly love. So phileo, the, the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia. So we love one another. It's sort of a give and take. I love you, you love me, and we're, we're doing well. The love that Peter is writing about in the passage this morning is agape love. Now, some of you who are listening have heard this a million times, this agape love. If you've been to weddings, there was one here yesterday. If you go to weddings, you hear the same thing. There's different kinds of love, but agape love, which is 1 Corinthians 13, is this selfless love. And we're talking selfless. It's the amazing supernatural love of God. That's the Bible describes or defines God's love. C.S. Lewis referred to agape as gift love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever be these new should not perish but have everlasting life. First John chapter 4, we read it, I'll read it again. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God. That's kind of foolish not to. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. He sent his son to die on a cross to take our place. That's the love of God. It's supernatural. It's extraordinary. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, that's how we'll see the love of God. God abides in us, and he and his love has been perfected. As we love one another, it's the manifestation that God loves you. So here is just how radical this agape love is in the obedience through the life of the believer. Listen for a moment. It's how radical it is in the life of the believer when obeyed. Here it is. Agape love through the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, never fails. Wow. It never fails. Kevin fails. And put your name there. We feel. But if his love is what we're being obedient to demonstrate and to do, it never fails. Secondly, agape love is the fruit of the Spirit. And it will endure forever. You got fruit that lasts forever. So when we think about loving, it has to be in a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about a transformation of our lives in actually being more and more loving selflessly. Now, I know if I were to take a poll here, how many of you want to love more selflessly? Every one of us would raise our Of course we do. That's the process. How does it happen? Relationship with God, the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God received is the love of God that radically transformed. So the question this morning to anyone who's listening online or here, do you know God's love? Have you received the love of God through the gospel? For God so loved you, he gave his only, that if you believe in it, you will not perish. You will know the eternal, infinite love of God. Perfect love for you. Demonstrated on the cross. 
Do you know him? Have you received his love? That's where it begins. Now, Corey Ten Boom, in her famous book, The Hiding Place, published actually this year, 50 years ago. She chronicles the horrors and her family, that her family experienced at the hands of the Nazis in Germany during World War II. Her family was arrested on February 28, 1944. Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany, where 10 months later, Betsy died. Before she died, she told Corey this, and she was a sickly woman, horrible conditions. She said this, quote, there is no pit so deep that God, he God, is not deeper still. She knew the love of God. Now, through the mistake of a clerk, Corey was released 12 days later. A week later, after she's released, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. God released Corey because I believe that she lived to inspire millions of people in what it is to know the love of God. I am one of them. So I'm going to give you a few quotes today, this morning. Here's the first one. Do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world, and when it is blocked, that means pain. There are two things we can do when this happens. We can kill that love so that it stops hurting, but then, of course, part of us dies too. Or we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel, unquote. This morning, I'm stealing from Corey's analogy. I'm going to offer you three such routes from Peter's passage for this agape love to travel. Now, again, it's a commandment. Love is a commandment. Corey said this, don't bother to give God instructions, just report for duty. Amen. Don't God, just report for duty. Okay, you're, called, you're commanding me to love. Just report. And say, okay, God, now you got to do it. Here are the three things. Number one, pray seriously and watchfully. Cover a multitude of sins and minister with the ability that God gives you. Let me say those again. Pray seriously and watchfully. Cover a multitude of sins and minister with the ability that God gives you. So, but the end of all things, verse 7, is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, the understanding the Greek is helpful here. Serious is the word clear-minded. Watchful is the word that would be used for self-control. So be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So you can think through things and talk to God about things that are going on in your life and his commandments for you to love another. Prayer is one of the highest priorities of Christian life. You know this if you've been here any amount of time. I know this. I, my favorite meetings are prayer meetings. Yesterday we have our hour prayer. Yesterday we had another prayer meeting. It's fabulous as we grow together in prayer. But not only together, on your, in your life, is prayer a priority? There are so many things that are going to oppose a clear mind and self-control. 
things that get us frenzied and anxious. And as you know that scripture, be anxious for nothing, really, but in prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. And the, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and, my, and minds. So God sort of sends like a soldier along. As we're praying, we're getting clear-minded. As we're praying, we're understanding our need for self-control and what God's called me to do. Corey said this, don't pray when you feel like it because you won't ever pray. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees, unquote. It's an admonition, an exhortation that we need to take to heart. We need to be praying. We need to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we are able to pray. Out of prayer comes the same. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, in other words, there's nothing more mind-clearing and self-controlling then Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. Jesus told disciples to be watchful all the time. Pastor Chuck said, when the Lord returns, I really don't want any unfinished business. So the coming of Christ, the end of all things at hand, therefore, Jesus is coming again. And he said, will you be watching? Will you be serious now in waiting for him? Wednesday studies in Revelation, incredible scenes of what is to come. This week, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. It says, they shall neither hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of living waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their, from their eyes. Would you come? <laughs> That, that's, that's what we're looking forward to. There are, there's much to be excited about by studying prophecy. But there are many things which are yet to be understood. Let us be wise and not waste precious time conjecturing, guessing, theorizing. Let's take to heart the things that we do understand, but then let's devote our time, more and more of it, to prayer. In preparing our hearts and minds before the Lord in what we already know. Charlotte said this often. The things I don't know don't bother me. It's what I do know that bother me. What God's called. And let me say the, the most challenging and yet the crowning glory of our relationship with God is to love one another. To love our enemies, to go beyond what would be natural to the supernatural realm of God. Now, Warren Wearsby tells a personal story which says it so well. Early in my ministry, I gave a message on prophecy that sought to explain everything. I have since filed away that outline and will probably never look at it except when I need to be humbled. A pastor friend of mine a friend who suffered through my message said to me after the service, Brother, you must be on the planning committee of, <laughs> for the return of Christ. I got his point, but he made it even more pertinent when he said quietly, I've moved from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. I'm telling you, prayer is welcoming. And I want to be on the, I just want to be ready watching, and prayer is so essential. Pray seriously and watchfully. The encouragement of Peter is to be always looking for the Lord. And the way to do that is to maintain a clear head 
and self-control so that we're able to pray. That's number one exhortation. When the events of Jesus return, however the events of Jesus return unfold, we know this, things will not get easier. That's clear. We know this, that things will get more and more difficult. That is clear. And therefore, more and more people will need a good dose of the love of God through the believer's life. That's clear. Let us clear our heads and discipline our minds and devote ourselves to prayer. That's my exhortation from the Lord to me and from me to you guys. Secondly, cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> These are all like, like huge things. That are the, the, the pathway of love. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for, the, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now get this, the word fervent, again, Greek. The word servant is the picture of an athlete straining his muscles to reach the finish line. This is what I say to you. Love is something we must work at. We got to exercise our love muscles. We got to continue exercising because to be fervent in love is exactly what that means. Proverbs 17:9 says, "He who covers a transgression seeks love." Now, it doesn't always reciprocate that way, but we're seeking that. And then it says this, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Here's what's according to I love this also. God takes our sins, the past, present, and future, and dumps them in the sea and puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed, unquote. Now, we like to fish when it comes to these kinds of things. Love will never be guilty of sharing a person's sin under the guise of praying for them. Love will never spiritualize gossip and slander. Love will not post little jabs or blatant personal attacks on social media. Love is not cowardly. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love will go and talk to that person of offense with the goal to reconcile. That is love. That's how love covers sin. 1 Corinthians says, love suffers long and is kind. Hold on a second. I've suffered enough. I'm done being kind. That's not love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures everything. And get this, love never fails. It's, it's an amazing thing, this love of God lived out in our lives. Corey Ten Boone again, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. It's a source. He's the source. We're the channel. James 5.19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know, let him know this, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death, listen, and cover a multitude of sins. It's amazing in my mind, my own experience. I can be so critical of believers and so uncritical of sinners. I'm going to go off on some believer because of their sin, but yet I'm willing to walk the distance with someone. I'm saying, it's not love. We have a lot of space, but not enough room for What's going on among us? 
Love is not blind to a person's faults. Love is compassionate beyond the faults. Love is willing to cover sin it does not condone. Love grieves over the sin it is willing to forgive, if need be, over and over again. Remember the disciples came to Jesus. How long shall I forgive? How many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? That's pretty good, seven. I say to you, stop counting. Seventy times seven. No, it's love doesn't keep track. It doesn't add up. It doesn't put the check marks in. It leaves them in the pond where God buried it, as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness is our greatest need, and yet it's also our greatest challenge. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. That's in context of her being called by God to forgive one of her prisoners, one of, her, uh, one of the guys that was keeping her in prison. Love forgives as having been forgiven by God. Love forgives out of a compassion and pity as having received the same from God. Love forgives because love, forgiveness is the duty of love. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves as your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Interesting passage here. It's in Luke 17. What Jesus goes on to say is, it's not a matter, it's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of obedience. He says there, if you have faith, he says, if you have faith as a, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled down by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Faith is not the option, is not the problem. And which of you having a steward's plowing, plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the thing that was commanded him? Does he thank the servant because of the, did the command him? So likewise, you, when you have done all, these th- all those things which you are commanded, forgive. We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. These are tough passages. No question about it. They're impossible, except, first of all, we know the love of God and we've been born again filled with his spirit, and then willing to obey the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God backs up every decision we make to obey him. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is. See, it's not the temperature of the heart, it's the willingness of the hand. Finally, minister with the ability that God gives. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, in those days, generally speaking, when people are traveling... They didn't have hotels. Motel 6, the light wasn't on. (laughs) And so they're traveling, and so part of their culture, that it was expected that you would house them. Now imagine that for you. They didn't go to the hotel. They went to the town square, and then someone would come along out of duty to put them up. Now, I don't know how it is for you when people are visiting, but it gets to the point where you say, you know, I think 
you need to leave. <laughs> I think the visit's over because it sort of disrupts our individualism of our culture. That's not the case here. So Peter's saying, in light of this obligation to care for people, which basically is to love them and provide for them, change the attitude of your heart, and you will find that it changed the atmosphere of your home. That's love. You know, we were invited to go to lunch. We just went to lunch with Dale and Jan at their home. There's something different when you walk into someone's home and you sit down at their table, and it's especially cool when they make the meal for you. But we sit, and there's something that happens there that's very different. Love is the willingness to open our hearts to people and care for them and look out for them. Now, here's another thing that popped into mind as I was thinking this. We all, we've all had those special times when someone comes up that you don't even recognize. And they say to you, you know, several years ago, you did this, and it was absolutely changed my life. Several years ago, you, you said this, and absolutely changed my life, and you had no idea. You, you don't even recognize the person anymore. My point here is, you never know how even a cup of cold water can change a person's life. To just stop a moment and open your heart to someone and say something or talk or do something or, or help them, you never know what's going to happen in just one moment of being hospitable to them in your heart. So whatever it was seeming insignificant to us is extremely significant to those that we open our hearts to. Corey Tamboon said again, the measure of life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. We're told it's better, it's more profitable, it's... Um, blessed to, more blessed to give than to receive. That's what we're told in Acts chapter 20, that the Lord said, although it's not recorded in the Gospels. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Minister with the ability that God gives. Each one of us received a gift, minister to one another, verse uh, 10. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are stewards of something that's been given to us. It's the love of God. In gift form, if you will. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So we're stewards of the grace of God. Peter points out two things. First of all, in speaking, to love one another is to speak the word of God. This is what God says. That's love. And then in serving... We love one another by being true to the word of God. In all that we're doing, these two things add up to God is glorified. This is not about me. It's not about you. It's about God being glorified. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And his love demonstrated through our lives is the glory of God not ourselves. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this gift area. We could spend a whole study, and maybe at some point we will. But this whole idea of we received a gift or gifts, literally, it's the word spirituals. So, Dr. Gary Brashears, who's a part of Western Seminary and is part of our CCS training, does this fabulous study on the gifts of the Spirit that I wholeheartedly concur with. But he said there, quote, 
these spirituals, a divine endowment of a special ability for service to each member of the body of Christ. Again, the gifts, really it says, that, that's not the word used. It's spirituals. In other words, spiritual, how I look at it is spirituality. Whatever our gift or our gifts, whatever our abilities, whatever our services, whatever our workings, we are to put time, put them to work to love one another so that God's glorified. And the most comprehensive passage in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, there are a couple of those, Romans chapter 9. You find some in Ephesians chapter 4 that talk about these gifts. But in listening to Gary Pursuit and just thinking through these things and my own experience, I realized, you know, God has gifted me. He's, he's entrusted to me these, these uh, what's the word I want, um, talents. And I am to put them to work for God. And as he was sharing some of these things, he said, what do you like to do? Well, do it to the glory of God. What have you been trained in? What have you been equipped? Do it to the glory of God. Give all these things over to him and let him use you. Let him use me in these things. And you know what? It's so fun. I'm serving the Lord. No. God loves me. He's given to me so many different things. And maybe you think, well, I don't have much. Whatever. Peter says, gift. Minister it according to the ability God's given to you. And the older that I get, the more I begin to appreciate that God loves me. And God has been working in my life. And God's entrusted me these things that he's given to me. Not that I hoard it and say, ooh, yeah. No, that I give it away and minister to others. And give these things that God has given to me, things I've learned. And let them go to others. Let them minister to others. And it is fun. It's joyful. So in this whole idea of the route of love, minister according to the ability that God gives you. He's not expecting you to be doing things that you have no idea about, although you can grow in those things. He's not expecting you to do that for which he has not equipped you. But he is saying to you, how have I equipped you? How have I ministered? And I think the beginning part of that for any believer, you come to know Christ, you are way up on the ladder for someone who doesn't know him. You have been given something that you can communicate immediately of the gospel. So yes, we want to be equipped. Yes, we want to know how to answer, give an answer and, and reason. Yes, all that. But may I say to you and to each one of us, when you came to Christ, did you not want to go out and tell the world? Of course you did. What he's done is love for you and been forgiven. So these gifts, whatever they are, the most comprehensive instruction is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We're going to take communion now. What I want to do, and just remain seated, I want to responsibly read 1 Corinthians 13. It is the defining chapter of love in the Bible. And you know what? It's tucked in between chapters 12 and chapter 14. We talk all about these gifts. It's sort of sequestered in there, nestled in between these two chapters. And he ends chapter 12 with these words. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Notice, he's not saying, he says, seek them. So the question I would have for you and for myself, what's God called you to do? Where are you operating? God wants to continue to equip you to be the best that you can be. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, and through your willingness to be courageous. So what do you need? 
For example, I've been in construction trades for many, many years. When I'm going to go cut a pipe, I don't get one of my crosscut saws. I get a hacksaw. And there are things that are needed in our lives to love as God's called us to love. So what do we need? He says, earnestly, I the best gifts. What's God called you? How's he called you to minister to others? The best gifts, but, he said, and yet I show you a more excellent way. That more excellent way is the way of love. So let's take this passage to heart as we read through it. I'll read the odd, first and odd. You read the second and even, and then we'll read together the final verse, and then we'll go to communion. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Together. And now abide faith, hope, love. These things, but the greatest of these is love. So as we go to communion, my pastor Chuck used to do this fairly frequently, not in communion, but just in his teaching. If you were to replace the word love with your name, well, first of all, let me say this. If you replace the word love with Jesus' name, it flows beautifully, perfectly. But then when you put your name in there, for example, Kevin suffers long and is kind. <laughs> See, that doesn't discourage me. It tells me that God wants to, me to grow in love. He's giving me the definition of love so that I might understand what it really is, not a feeling, what it really is, and then he wants to help me to grow in that love. But it's necessary to identify and define love for what it really is. It's not a feeling. It's a commandment that is when lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit never fails. When lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit bears fruit that remains. So as we take communion, as the emblems are passed out, I'm going to ask you just to maybe put your name in there and say, okay. You know, for me, I put my name in any one of them and I go, oh man, <laughs> I got a long way to go. And so do all of us. But if God is working in us, then he's going to accomplish this thing called love on a deeper and deeper level. I don't know what that would be for you today. I'm going to ask you to identify something in your heart that goes 
contrary to these things. And I want you to cry out to God as you hold the emblem, the cup, and the bread. We come into the cross in communion. It's a time to bring our hearts to Him. And we see, we see to remember His death, that what He did on that cross was exactly what we need if our sins are going to be forgiven. We're going to understand the love of God, and then we're going to operate from the power of the Holy Spirit in seeking to live our lives as Jesus commanded us, as God commanded us. Are you with me? So hold those. Consider your own heart this morning. We'll take them together once we have them all distributed.